so now today, we are going to sort of recap the, the, the book of Philippians. We're going to go through the whole book and see if we have enough time to recap the whole thing. Uh, to, so that you don't forget where we came from. You are reminded of certain things that we find in the book of Philippians. And um, I must tell you that recently... I have heard a lot of people quote from the book of Philippians. And uh, yeah, it's remarkable how the Holy Spirit has the body of Christ sort of on the same page, so to speak. Forgive the pun. Um, So, you remember, certain things you remember, that the book of the epistle to the Philippians was written from prison by Paul. From prison. And you also remember how remarkable it is that since it was written from prison, how can it be that Paul writes so much about joy and rejoicing? Paul's got something that we need. Because you will agree with me that joyful people are fun to be around. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Oh, Maybe not for you, but for me, oh yeah. I rejoice being around joyful people. And by the same token, people that are a a drag are a drag to be around. No? Okay. I I mean, at work, at church, at play, at wherever. Uh, uh, And so you try to get them some joy. (laughs) Uh, So, but for us to be at work, And be joyless. When somebody is in prison and full of joy, that is remarkable. We need some of what Paul's got. The joy of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, yeah, there are some of the things that you come across in, in, in sort of strange verses. In that he is fixing to, he thinks he's fixing to get killed. And then he says, uh, rejoice with me. <laughs> and again I say rejoice. And you also remember that there was a little bit of strife, or maybe a little bit more than just a little bit of strife in the Philippian church. And that's why Paul writes, trying to solve a few of the issues there, and trying to get the people together in humility, and therefore try to attain a, a form, if not a, a complete unity. And you also remember that there was some false teaching going on in, in the church from the Judaizers who want to bring in, besides being saved by Jesus, also keeping the law. And we'll read about it. And then the Epicureans who, uh, in, in their school, had the idea that the highest aim of man is to satisfy the, his early lusts, his fleshly desires. So, uh, you can imagine where that takes you. Uh, and so that was mixed into some of the teaching. And Paul, and Paul doesn't uh, mince very many words in calling some of them dogs and, and, and the like. So, um, I will try to read um, through the scriptures and then stop at certain places and then expound a little bit. We don't have time to expound too much. Just to, sort of like a, a reminder. Um, so when you go through a, a book of the Bible, 
it is sort of like expository preaching. Expository preaching, you go sort of like verse by verse, and you try to, best you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, represent what the Bible says there, best you can. Not something else, but what it says there. Otherwise, you're not representing what is written there very well. You misrepresent it in many ways. And so, sometimes, it is by design that people misrepresent the Word of God. Yes? Sometimes they try to make something twist to say something else because they want money from you or something. Uh, And sometimes it is not by design. They just didn't know any better. Uh, And we find that also to be true uh, in in the scriptures, in in the record, that sometimes things were taught and then somebody would come along and say, no, 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 it needs to be taught this way. Or this is not complete. Let me show you the completion. I can't go into it otherwise We'll, we'll run out of time. Uh, but in the book of Acts, we find some of those issues, uh, as well as we find over here when Paul is teaching the Philippians, hey, don't go the Judaizers' way because it takes you into false doctrine. Don't go to Epicureans' way. It will take you into false doctrine. Who wants to satisfy his flesh and think that's the highest aim in, 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 in mankind? No, no, you want to you wanna, uh, satisfy the will of God. That is the highest aim of man. So, anyways, I'm just reminding you a little bit. So, when you preach expositorily, uh, then that's what you do. But there's also something called topical preaching. Topical preaching. You choose a topic, like maybe forgiveness, and then you search the scriptures. Many times it is incomplete, and then you'll be honest with the people and say, this is incomplete because we just don't have time to go to cover the whole thing. So, but this is what we're going to cover about forgiveness, topical preaching. So most places or most preachers are from one school or the other. I am not. I like expository preaching and I like topical preaching. I don't favor one over the other. If you are going through an epistle, through a book, by definition, you're going expositorily. Yes? Because you're going to go verse by verse. Verse by verse is not the only. Even Jesus didn't go verse by verse. When he quoted from the, New Testament, from the Old Testament, he would take a couple of verses and quote that. He didn't go through the whole book and quote, it, quote that. That book was written. So, so even somebody who is preaching expositorily sometimes has to come back to topical. Because you find in the expository that there's something that needs to be explained. And then you have to go look at other places to explain that to your audience, what this thing is saying. You see? So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't favor one over the other. Obviously, if I'm going to the book of Philippians, I, I follow the text. But I also veer out to explain some other things that it says in the book of Philippians. Say, for example, unity. It speaks in the book of Ephesians about unity. So why not bring in what, you know, what Ephesians is saying so you have a better understanding as you're going through the book of Philippians? Yes? So, and then when you want to address something like forgiveness or grace or unity or these type of things, you just make it a topical sermon. Nothing wrong with that. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> yes, and, and everything has pluses and minuses. If you go expositorily, there's pluses and minuses. 
If you go topical, there's pluses and minuses. Okay? So there you have it. I'm trying to take all the pluses. I try to take the pluses of the expository preaching, and I try to take the pluses of the, of the topical, and I'm good to go. No problemo. Okay. So, so next week, as you did your homework for the discipleship thing, you probably read at least some in 1 Samuel 15 chapter. Next week, if you want to read ahead, you go ahead and read it next week. We'll preach on that. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Uh, because there's just too many uh, good lessons in there to, to, since it has been brought to our attention just to skip over it. So, here we go then um, with Philippians. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God of every remembrance of you. I delight in thinking of you. When I think of you, it delights my heart. And I think of you often. I think of you when I hear a good sermon. I say, ah, maybe I bring some of this to them. This is exciting. A new song. Oh, we got to learn this song. Uh, I discover something in the scriptures. Ah, I want to share this with my people. Uh, I think of you often and with, with delight. And Paul is saying this to the Philippians. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for y'all. He was a little texting a little bit here. For y'all. Making requests with joy. Here you have that joy word again. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's where I'll make a couple of comments. Because this is a verse that we had designated as a memory verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, this is an encouraging verse to me because it helps me realize that where you are, you're not always going to be. Because he keeps performing his, this good work in you till the day that Jesus comes, he performs this work in you, and you're going to become more like him day by day, from glory to glory. So, and... You can think the same thing of me. <laughs> oh, pastor, he's not going to be like this all the time. Okay, forgive him. Forgive him. He's okay. You know, in a, in a couple of years, he'll be more like Jesus. When you do marriage counseling, it is a, a, a wonderful thing to realize that, hey, your husband is not always going to be like that. If he's saved, God is going to continue to change him. Your wife is not always going to be. Your children are not always going to be. If they're saved, the Holy Spirit will do his work on them and they'll be, be become more like Jesus as they yield themselves to the Spirit of God. Even as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my, in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of my grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long after you. 
You remember in the fourth chapter how he addressed the Philippians. He says, uh, dearly beloved and longed for. My joy and my crown. So the, even though there was some, uh, some trouble in the Philippian church, some strife and uh, some wrong teaching and so on and so forth, uh, uh, Paul delighted in them. He loved them. But isn't that the way we ought to love one another? Even though we have flaws, yet we love one another. And he says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long after you. Y'all again. In the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. What he's saying over there, yes, we need to love one another. I'm looking because my eyes, my eyes sight betrays me here. So I'm looking for a little bit more light. Um, that, yes, we are supposed to love one another. But we are supposed to love one another with judgment and discernment. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And um, because we cannot just go around and loving people just... Hey, I'm supposed to love my sister. You know, I gave you the example of the, the hug thing. Uh, this brother want to hug his sister and they uh, arriving in the, in, the, in the sanctuary at the same time early. I just happened to be early out of Sunday school and I see this thing happening. And he sees a sister over there and he wants to go hug her. So she walks that way, he walks this way. So he changes direction. He goes this way, she goes that way. Uh, I see this happening a couple of times. And I say, hey, brother, how are you doing? Trying to divert his attention a little bit because the sister doesn't want to hug you. <laughs> Get the hint. Take a hint. Uh, and so, so love, yes, we need to love one another with good judgment. That's what he's saying over here. Um, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That you may approve basically the things that really matter. That you're looking for the things that really matter. Some things don't matter, folks. They don't matter your attention. They don't matter you're getting upset about. They don't matter. Heartburn. Uh, I was telling a, a friend, a close friend who was going through the divorce years ago. Uh, and you know how it works. They try to suck as much out, out, of, you, out of you as, as, as they can. And, and I, I told my, my friend, I say, let it go. The emotional attacks that you are going to have to pay to get all that stuff that you don't want her to have because it is not right and it is not reasonable. Let it go. You're still so young, you can make that money back. You can work and get that money. But your emotional health is difficult to regain, my friend. Amen. Don't pay that emotional tax on it. It, is, it doesn't matter, I told him. It doesn't matter. You're still so young. You can still work and, and, and make up some of that money. In the meantime, you have blessed her and, 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 and you have saved your emotional health. Some things are not worth it. Uh, and being sincere and without offense 
has the idea, well, we, we, we explained this, that a, a broken vase, a piece of pottery, that they would fix it with wax and then repaint it. And since the word sincere actually there means, you speak Spanish, Sister Miriam, yes? Nuria? How do you say wax in Spanish? Because somebody told me it is cera, cera, wax, cera. Yes, cera, cera. So how do you say sincere in Spanish? Sincera, okay? But if you split it up, it says sin, cera, without sin, sin, wax, cera. So the word here, sincere, means just that, sin, cera, without wax. So they would put the wax in there and repaint it. And then the way you could tell that it was with wax and not without wax, hold it against the light, put a little heat on it because it would melt the wax, and uh, uh, put some pressure, uh, put a little pressure. Oh, oh, there's wax here. Okay, now there is another illustration that people use that in Japan in some places when a pottery is broken, instead of putting wax in there, they put gold in there. And it makes the pottery more uh, exquisite and more expensive. Uh, so that is what Christ has done for us. But here, it means wax, not gold. Okay? So uh, gold is a great ac explanation of what God has done for us because we were broken and he fixed us and made us more valuable. Amen. Okay? Uh, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, verse 11, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should... Understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He is saying over there that you Philippians thought, oh, Paul is gone. Paul is in prison. He's in trouble now. And he's trying to console them and encourage them. Hey, I'm in prison, all right. But it has actually resulted in the furtherance of the gospel in a new and profound way. You didn't think this was going to happen. But it did. God is good. So don't be discouraged. And they know the gospel in many other places. And even the people that were against us are now preaching the gospel. People that had been discouraged because there was persecution. They are now preaching the gospel. And the gospel is, being, is expanding all, all over the place. And many of the brethren in the Lord, becoming confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, but not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in that, I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He's not talking about justification there. He's talking about sanctification there. That this is going to grow me in Christ. This is going to make me more like Jesus. And my dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the pain that you're going to go through for Christ's sake, will never be in vain, will never be for nothing. He always will use those things to make you more like Jesus. And later on, we'll see 
that to be more like Jesus, that that is the price. That is the price that Paul is looking for. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, uh, so so shall also Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be my life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he goes on to explain, it goes on to explain that, hey, listen, if I die, for to me to, 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 to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, to live is Christ and to die is even better than that. It's not better than Christ. It is because he finds himself in a different position to be able to adore and to uh, 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 worship and to have a better view of Christ being in heaven when he goes. He is not limited to the limitations of the flesh where he sees with physical eyes that influence your spiritual eyes. Over there he sees all with spiritual eyes and he'll see Jesus in all the glory that he's in. And he says, it would be far better for me to go. For me. But before, it would be better for you if I stay. And then I raised the question when we were going through the book of Philippians. Are you willing to work for, to have God work this thing in you? That you are willing to give up that which is far better for you. So that others can have what is better for them. I'll say it again. Are you willing for God? So this is not just, this is not just, well, I'll do it this time. I want, I want God to work it in me. That this is who I become. That I become the person that is willing to give up something that is far better for me. So that you can have what is better for you. And the words far better is what is used over here. So in other words, he's not, he's not just giving up something that was a little bit better for him. What kind of a sacrifice is that? This was far better for him. He gives it up so that you can have something that's better for you. I mean, he says, thank to the Philippians. This should be our heart and our life, brothers and sisters, that we would have God work it in us. That, and he wants to work it in us because this is what Jesus was, right, was like. And for us to become more Christ-like, we should be willing to do that. And uh, so he goes on. But for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. For I'm in straight, I'm betwixt and between, between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, with you all for the furtherance of the joy of faith. He says, for my staying over here will result in your furtherance of your joy in the faith. Wow. So I'm staying. Now, don't misunderstand. He didn't have a choice in the matter. He was just hypothesizing. He doesn't have a choice. Well, I'm going to go now. Okay? He's going to go when God tells him to go. So, he's, but he's just hypothesizing. I have a desire to go, but I have a desire to stay. If I go, it's far better for me. But if I stay, it's better for you. I stay. <laughs> that you rejoicing 
may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. You hear the word one over there. With one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Has also the oneness in there, yes? Together. For the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So, there you have it. Now, he's not talking about being a martyr per se, though that is included. But there's some suffering when you follow Jesus Christ. It is an unpopular teaching. But it is the truth. If I'm going to tell you the truth, I must tell you that following Jesus has some suffering in it. Maybe not for you right now, but it will be for you in the future. Go to another place. Go to Africa, India, China, or one of those places, and you'll be persecuted for your faith. They'll burn down your church. They kill your family, and they kill you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. You, you will agree with me you are going to die. Yes? Everybody dies. So, what I wanna, the, the way I want to die is for the gospel's sake. It's no problem. But dying for the gospel's sake is actually maybe the easier part it may be more difficult to living for the gospel's sake. Uh, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Chapter 2. Then in chapter 2 he goes, the first four verses, he speaks to them about that there is a, 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 a common ground that we have in Christ. And on that basis, I am... I am uh, pleading with you to not only to strive for unity, but the unity is only going to come if you are actually humble and put other people first or at, at least at the same plane as you and not you above them. And then he goes on to say in, chapter five, in verse 5 that uh, he says, this is the thing that I desire for you. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. I want you to have that kind of a mind that Christ Jesus had. What great encouragement for me. I, I can have the same mind as Jesus Christ. I can think like him. Which causes people to be humble. To put other people first. To sacrifice, have a sacrificial life. To have a life full of joy and a life full of love. A life that says to other people, I love you. Not just by words, but by actions. So he goes on to say here, chapter 2. Hey, we passed chapter 1 already. Wow. Oh, I say already. 
So it's, that's okay. If we just go through chapter 2, then next week we go 3 and 4. And, 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 and This is too rich to just say, hey, oh, you've heard it once. I can never just hear it once. Myself. I tell you, some of the sermons that have made a difference in my life, I've heard maybe 30, 40, 50 times. I can, I, can, I can name you a few if you want me to. One of those sermons was The Lordship of Jesus Christ by Juan Carlos Ortiz from Argentina. Whoa! Lordship! I had never seen it like that before. Uh, the Blood Covenant by Mike Hayes from Dallas. Those, are, those were life-changing sermons for me. And... I couldn't get enough of it because I wanted to understand every word. You don't understand every word from every sermon. It's impossible. Even people that take notes cannot do that. And people should take notes. I mean, uh, this morning, I, I was a little bit early and I thought, ah, let me turn on the television. Charles Stanley, one of my favorite preachers is so profound and so right on, especially in the area of humility and forgiveness. So right on. I see the people taking notes. Well, okay, I understand. He's a lot slower than, you know, he's older than I am, and he speaks a little bit slower than I am, so it's easier to take those notes. But anyways, so Paul goes on, like I said. He's trying to plead with them on the basis of some of the things that they have in common and that they have already given by the Holy Spirit. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if that is, and the word if over there is not the hypothetical if, it is the word that, that means since we have these things. Okay? It is when, when Satan tempted Jesus, if you are the Son of God. He had no question that Jesus was the Son of God. He, what it meant is, since you are the Son of God, then do this. So that's what it says over here. Since we have these things, that the, the, the comfort and the, and the encouragement in Christ, and the comfort of love, and the, we have the, uh, the fellowship of the Spirit, and we have the tender mercies and compassion, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, here you have that word one again, like-minded. Having the same love. That same love means has the connotation of, of one. Um, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look. Not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Many brothers and sisters, that is so core of the gospel. That, but we are so selfish otherwise. Huh? Um, but the Holy Spirit wants to work these things in us that we don't, that we put other people first. Anyways, <laughs> I thought somebody said, Amen, praise the Lord, he's working it in me. Uh, verse 5, let this mind be in you. So he's asking them to think of others uh, and not just about themselves. And he's talking about one mind, one spirit, and he's talking about these type of things. He's talking about let there be unity among you, 
But if there's going to be unity, it is only going to happen because people are humble. If there is pride, unity is gone. If there's humility, there's a chance for unity. So he says, okay, that's where he's going. And he says then, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was equal with God, didn't consider, though he was in the form of God, in the form of God, didn't consider being equal with God something to hold on to. But made of himself of no reputation and becoming in the form of a servant. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. This is the God of glory who was with the Father in glory from, from the beginning. We don't understand the word beginning, even though it says in the book of John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God put it there so we have at least a, an idea. We can grasp as finite people the infinite eternity. Amen. So he gives us an idea in the beginning. <laughs> Guess what it was? Well, there's no beginning and no end in eternity. But, but just so you can, where before time was, that was Jesus Christ. And then he who was in glory came to come in the form of a man, a servant. And it says, and he humbled himself. And became obedient, even unto death, the death of a cross. He says, this is what I, wanna, I want God to work in you, Philippians. This is what I pray that God will work in us, uh, WRBCs. That means Walden Road Baptist Church. <laughs> this is what I want God to work in us. Because... The life of Christ brings so much victory and joy to our lives. Whatever you have to suffer is more than worth it. Amen. And not only that, in God's economy, He pays you well. We'll see that in just a little bit. Uh... Made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. In some translations it says the cross. You can put the cross if you want to. The little translation is a cross because Paul is trying to make it not the cross in this instance. In this instance, Paul is trying to make it a cross. A cross. That nobody knew about then yet, except a few. A cross. Now we can speak of the cross because it's very meaningful to us. It means everything to us. Wherefore God also, here it comes, had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, 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 God, therefore. The word therefore is important because it connects the previous passage with the coming passage. Because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
Therefore, on that basis, therefore, the Father has exalted him and had given him the name that is above every name. There is no name higher than that name. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether they were saved or not. Finally, they're going to see, but it's too late for some. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a funny, a funny verse that people often misunderstand. Work out your own salvation. How can you work out your own salvation? Isn't that the Holy Spirit who works it out? No. He's not saying that you're going to have to do anything by works. He's just saying, stay there till the end. Stick in there, brothers and sisters. It might be difficult. It might be difficult to live a sacrificial life. It might be difficult to put other people first. It might be difficult. But stick it out. It is the right thing to do. Work on your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh. And he says it right over here. If you had a a confusion about the previous verse, uh, Paul is clarifying it right here for you. For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God will work it in you. You just stick it out. You just yield to him, and he'll work it in you. To will and to do of his good pleasure. The word to will over there has not just the the idea of willing it, but it has the idea also of desire. Some translations even say desire. To desire to do God's pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. How churches need that, that verse. All things without murmurings and disputings. That you may be blameless and harmless children of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as light in the world. So he's saying to us, there is there a dark place out there. Take your light and shine it in there. My dear brothers and sisters, you see, where there is light, your light doesn't have a lot of effect. Your light is just another light. Your light has the greatest effect in darkness. When it is a dark place. But some of us are afraid to go some of the places. Now, I don't blame you. Because some of these places are, are maybe dangerous or whatever. But if God calls you to go there, you just go. But I'm not talking about where there are murderers, necessarily. I'm talking about where there's plenty of darkness. Where people, like the Epicureans, they want to satisfy their lustful pleasures. Darkness. They need Jesus. My brothers and sisters. Somebody comes in the church and they, you know, reflect darkness. Come in the light. Come in the light. We want to shine some light on you. So you can get to know Jesus Christ. So you can come out of darkness. As God has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1.14. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain. Neither labored in vain. Yea. 
And if it be offered upon, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. This is what I was trying to tell you earlier. If I'm going to be offered up, it is a, there's a chance. This is not sure yet. Nobody has told me the date. But I, I, I've, been hearing, I've been hearing in the prison over here talk of, are they going to take Paul out? I've been hearing it. But if I'm offered up, hey, I rejoice. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, and the things within which are not the things that which are of Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he had served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently. As soon as I shall see him, I will go, it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor a fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my need. Epaphroditus obviously was one who ministered to Paul's need. And so, but he was uh, 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 real close to the Philippians. For, and then he goes to explain now. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he'd been sick. Epaphroditus was trying to hide it from the Philippians that he'd been sick because he knew it was going to be a heavy burden on them. Their close brother is ill. But so he, he, he knew of it and he knew that they were a little bit heavy, but he was sorry about that. For indeed he was sick, near unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. Here's that word again. And that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ, he was near unto death. For the work of Christ, he was near unto death. It was not because he was doing things that were full of pleasure. It was for the things of Christ, he was near unto death. Not regarding his life. To supply your lack of service toward me. Let me just go a little bit more, then we'll 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 do the rest maybe next week. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not irksome, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Beware of con- the concession, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's, there he's saying, beware of dogs. He says they are from the concession. He says that they think that to be a Christian, you have to also go by the law. This was the Judaizers. And so, therefore, circumcision is required. 
No, they were not even from the circumcision. They were, for the, they were the ones that mutilated their bodies and now try to mutilate the gospel. Dogs that they are. No one can add anything to Jesus Christ. That is where it's coming from. It is not all totally explained there, but that's where it's coming from. Uh, you cannot add anything to Jesus Christ for salvation lest you go into false teaching. Um, so he goes on to say, uh, so we have no confidence in the flesh. But he goes on to say and he explains that, hey, if it was about the confidence in the flesh, I have more right to boast than they. And he goes on to explain it. But he says, all those things of the flesh, I consider them done compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he had reasons for which he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised on the eighth day. Now he gives his, his uh, how you call it, his uh, credentials, so to speak. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which in the law, blameless. That is his credentials. He says, if it, if it came to the achievements of the flesh, I have more to boast than they. He gives us the reason why. He is not boasting. He's saying, if it came, which it doesn't, but if it came to just the, the, the satisfying of the flesh and, and, and with, with the, the, the requirements of the law, I have more to boast than just about anybody. But those things, then he goes on to explain, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. At one time I counted those things gain. At one time I thought to be a millionaire was important. And to have a sailboat was important. And to have three Cadillacs was important. And to have a four-car garage was important. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not that important. I thought those were the things that would give me life. I found out they suck life out of me. If you're not careful. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with those things. If you Christ-centered and you live a Christian life and you put those things in the right perspective, there's nothing wrong with it. Because you are the ones that we're coming for to ask you for money to give to a cause. So there's nothing wrong with that. Just put it in its right place. And Paul is saying over here. But what things were gains to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, or another translation says, done, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's a good place probably to stop. Oh, you want me to go on? <laughs> it's okay to say no. 
But my brothers and sisters, is that, a, is, is that not a glorious epistle? I mean, it hits me right here. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, in my heart, in my head, it hits me everywhere. In my spirit, how glorious this thing is. And how much it, it speaks to my personal life. And how much it should speak to your personal life. I'll say my own amen. Amen. (laughs) Let us stand.